0: Amen. And I just saw, by way of text, Robbie Easterwood said they would give 100 as well if we'd put that down. Uh, We didn't take up the offering. We may do that at the end. I know several uh, would probably not have it right here, but you'll give it when you can. But we still, ushers, if we can take up the offering at the end of the service, anybody would like to give towards that, and then um, you're welcome to mark that and turn it in when you're able to if you need to. Write your check for that. Proverbs chapter number 16. We, for several Sunday mornings, were talking about the matter of habits. We went through just five basic habits of the Christian life. If you look at the life of a disciple, you'd find these habits. If you look at the life of Jesus Christ, you would find this emphasis as well. So we believe that these habits that we went through were spiritual disciplines that would cause there to be a healthy disciple, causing a Christian to thrive. When we practice these disciplines, we experience God's power within us. And interestingly, I've said that none of these habits are new. None of them are novel. They're not groundbreaking or revolutionary. And today people seem to, they're looking for a new trick, an easier tip, a better life. But that's not what these habits are that the Bible gives to us. These are just the basic elements of following Jesus Christ. They're what we would consider to be fundamentals. And we can always use a refresher in fundamentals. We can spiritually fall into bad habits and find ourselves in a rut. And there are times you may feel lethargic and personally disconnected from experiencing God. And if you feel stuck and you're looking to grow, I want to continue to encourage us to look to these habits. We've mentioned them. We went through, preached a message on each one. But the first one was the matter of weekly worship, your in-person attendance in the worship service of the local body of believers where you belong as a member. The second one is daily prayer. The third one is daily scripture reading. The fourth is regular giving. And fifth is sharing your faith. Now, looking at these, these habits, I want us to try to understand and, and, and help us with the frame of mind that the point in having these habits is not so that we can check the box of these, but rather that we can live them. So it's not so much about having the habits as much as it is experiencing God. Looking at our text here in Proverbs chapter 16, this falls within that category of Proverbs 10. All the way to chapter 22 where Solomon, the wisest man, is giving to us his observations as he viewed life as he was directed by the Holy Spirit. We come specifically to chapter 16 and you'll find an emphasis here in the first nine verses and it's the Lord. You'll see the phrase the Lord. He comes up about eight times in these verses, and this repetition is very prominent. It's emphasizing a couple things in these nine verses about the Lord. We see the emphasis of the Lord's activities, and then we see the emphasis of our relationship to Him. But I want us to look at just the first three verses and then direct our attention to just one particular verse So if we could, please, let's stand and let's look at these verse three verses, Proverbs 16, verses one, two, and three. Proverbs 16, verse number one, the preparations of the heart in man and the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weigheth the spirits, Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. Look again, verse number three. Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. Now, we're going to go a little bit into an area which I don't want it to be too technical, but I want to bring encouragement to us. As I have found over the the past couple of months, looking at these habits, hearing people try to incorporate these and others, and listening to the areas of discouragement, the, the frustration. And so I want to try to help us with a mindset that I believe is a Bible mindset that can guard us from getting discouraged when we're wanting and attempting to experience God. I want to preach tonight on this thought. Healthy Christians focus on daily. Healthy Christians focus on daily. You say, what does that mean? That's what preaching's for. Thank you. Please be seated. Verse number one, he tells us we make our own plans, but ultimately the final answer, or the outcome, is of God. God's not opposed to us making plans, but we can't forget that God is sovereign. God's in control. God is sovereign, man's responsible. That doesn't hurt my brain whatsoever. Both are Bible truths. God's completely sovereign, and I have, and, and, and Given, having to give an account of my responsibility in making decisions. But ultimately, he, he's telling us at the end of the day, at the end of our life, at the end of the ages, it's God who is still in charge. We go to verse number two, all the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weigheth the spirits. In verse one, he wants us to know something. He wants us to know that God is in charge. You make plans, you've got to do it. But God's in charge. Number two, he wants you to be aware of something in verse two. And and that is the the danger that many times we can justify our behavior. But it's God that sees and examines our hearts. Here it's our motives. God, God sees that. How quick we are to question the motives of others, yet how slow we are to question our own motives. Maybe it's because we know our own motives and we don't necessarily know the motives of others, but the point is we can be quick to judge the motive or question the motive of others. When others harm us, we may assume the worst of intentions. When we are guilty, we often, however, excuse our offenses, concluding that others are just too sensitive. Regardless of how we monitor our motives, What we're being told here by Solomon is that God weighs them in his scales of righteousness. Trying to deceive God with our pious justifications is futile because it is God who sees our hearts. Is it possible? Is it possible to do the right thing for the wrong reason? Of course it is. You know, you can't attend worship services with a heart that's far from worshiping. Look at Isaiah chapter 1, verses 10 through 17. You'll find Isaiah talking about that very matter. Could you show concern for the poor, yet have a heart that is opposed to God? Well, Judas did. In John chapter 12, verses 4 through 8. Could you make a bold statement of love for Jesus Christ, but actually be aiding the work of Satan? Peter did. Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 through 23, could you offer sacrifices, I mean, true sacrifices to God, but be in total disobedience to God? King Saul did. 1 Samuel chapter 15, excuse me, 1 Samuel 13, verses eight through nine. Could you? Could you pray with the wrong motives? James says you can, James four and verse three. See, many things can cause us to do what we do. We're often motivated by good things such as love God, compassion for others, generosity and faith. But our actions can come from an unhealthy motive such as pride, insecurity, ambition, lust, greed, guilt, anger, fear, hurt. It is even possible to do the very best things based upon the worst motives. When the Lord measures our motives, you know, I, I, I have concluded, I think He's looking for one thing love. Is that what 1 Corinthians 13 is telling us? Love. Mentioned this morning, ministry, it's messy. I didn't give you the second thought. We talked about it. But but here's why God calls us to experience God and get involved into the mess of people's lives because ministry is not only messy, but it ought to be all about the miracles of God. But if we don't have the motive of love, love God and love the people that God loves, we're going to miss the point of seeing the miracles unless we get involved in the mess. There are no miracles in the Bible, but what there has to be a mess of a situation in order for there to be a miracle. There's no parting of the Red Sea if there was no Red Sea. There was no filling up of the the vats and the crews of oil if there was not some need. There's no no, uh, putting together an altar that's broken and praying fire down from heaven if there wasn't a need. And the point is God wants to meet our need, but he's looking at, at the, what's the motive? All that we do should proceed from our love for God and for others. Take time to look past your actions to what actually lies behind them. Ask God to show you what He sees when He examines your motives. That's what verse number two is speaking of. So not only does He tell us in verse one, know this, verse two, be aware of this, but in verse three, He says, decide this. Make this decision. What's the decision, verse three? Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. He's saying... Cast yourself and all you do upon the Lord. Depend totally upon Him and all of your plans for God will be enabled by God. See, if you truly commit your activities to the Lord, if you're surrendered to the Lord, if you find your satisfaction in the Lord, if you're looking to the Lord for your strength and your sustenance, you are committing to the Lord. The word commit here is the same word that is used in Psalm 55, verse 22, when it says... uh, that God will never suffer the righteous to be moved. Uh, cast thy burden upon the Lord and he'll sustain thee. He'll never suffer the righteous to be moved. It's the same idea, cast, commit. It simply means roll. Roll. Roll your burden upon the Lord. Roll your dependence upon the Lord. Roll upon God your complete total trust, your submission, your your surrender to Him. And and, and then he says, then your works, your, your plans, your commitment, everything that is about you, your calling, your life, everything, roll it upon the Lord. And the Bible says... You'll think right. Now, we talk about the matter of we think right, we'll do right, and there's truth to that. But the Bible's also teaching us you do right. You'll think right. Sometimes it just doesn't make sense to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord humanly. But when God says it always makes sense, spiritually, I just don't see how it's going to happen. We'll do it anyway and you'll think right. You do right and then you think right. One of the things I say often that I love about the Bible is it keeps me from praying about a lot of things because when God says it, he expects us to do it. And when you do it, you'll think right about who he is and what he's up to. And cast your burden upon the Lord. Commit thy works unto the Lord. Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. Now, let's go back to that, take that with our habits. You will never climb to the level of your goals and your desires. If a man desires the office of a bishop, Paul says he desires a good thing. Delight thyself in the Lord, he'll give thee the desires of thy heart. But your desires is not where it ends. You'll never climb to the level of your goals. Rather, you will always sink to the level of your system. That's why you can have these five goals and you could add more to it and say, these are my goals. It's my goal to read the Bible through. It's my goal to pray every day. It's my goal to give regularly. It's my goal to be faithful. But you will never climb to the level of your goals. However, you'll always sink to the level of your system. Why? Because experiencing God is not about a box that we check of things that we do. It's about a life that we imbibe. You get your system right. What do you mean by that? Well, your life. Your life of trusting and obeying. It's a life. I I can read my Bible. I can pray. I can give. I attend. I can check all these things off and I still not love God. And if you love the world, John says you can't love God at the same time. Because John says, don't love the world, neither the things that are in the world. That's the world system. Why? Because you can't love God at the same time. You can do the things that a disciple ought to do, but until it becomes part of your life and it becomes part of the process, we're not going to experience God. Get your system right and get your culture of being a follower of Jesus and get everything that, that about God, the nature, don't limit him to this compartmentalizing. Why well, I showed up at church, I, I I read my Bible, and then I go and do my own thing. No, it's it's a life of following Jesus, and these disciplines are just kind of some mile markers and some things that will help me, you get your systems right, everything else will begin to fall into place. See, tiny changes is what makes a big difference. People think of changes coming in the form of sudden watershed moments. And that's how we sometimes can get off in the Christian life is because we go from mountaintop to mountaintop to, to, to big event, high charge services. A very well-known preacher, I say his name, you would know him and, and I want to be vague about it. But, but I was talking with him some time ago about the fact that he was canceling his Sunday night services. And this is, oh, well, wherever he preaches, he'd fill the place. But in his own church, he he, he concluded that after such a gully washer of a Sunday morning, he said, there's no other place to go but down. And why disappoint people on a Sunday night? Because we could not reproduce the same dynamic that we had on Sunday morning. I want to tell you, people are like this. In, in all kinds of ways, secular, spiritual, because they're looking for watershed moments to change their life and they're losing the significance of the tiny changes Amen. in daily experiencing God. Amen. See, our most dramatic transformations come from maintaining tiny changes. Over time, If it's not there, what happens is people even go so far as to wonder whether or not they're actually saved. I dealt with the interns, uh, and we spent about two hours on the theology of salvation, assurance, and revival. And the consistent thread of theology that runs throughout. And if we don't understand the simplicity that is in Christ... Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians that the devil wants to corrupt the simplicity in Christ. And what people are looking for are looking for watershed moments to make the change. And this isn't happening, and this isn't happening, and this isn't happening. And so they make a conclusion, and many times it's a wrong conclusion. And what we fail to recognize is that getting saved was not the end, is the beginning. Sometimes you'll hear a preacher say, well, when they got saved, they got gloriously saved. But the news is, anybody who gets saved, gets saved the same way. Right. See, it's the accumulation of the small 1% improvements that result in significant improvements. Let me give you this. If you can get 1% better each day at your habits, you're reading your Bible, spending time with God, Focusing on the the things that will nurture a discipleship. If you can get 1% better each day for one year, you'll end up 37 times better by the time you're done. This is putting the attention on daily. And this is true in the Christian life. It's true in the secular world. Let me give you an example. British cycling. Is anyone a fan of cycling just wonder if there's anybody here in this, in this group. Um, and so you wouldn't know if I give you the right facts then um, anyway. But, but this is good. I've, I've checked this. And this is, uh, this is helpful. British cycling went from really joke to juggernaut in less than a decade by harnessing the power of 1% gains. Now listen to this. British cycling for almost a century, was a joke. From its founding in 1908 to the early 2000s, the Brits just won, uh, won just one Olympic gold and they never won the Tour de France. They were so bad that one cycling brand refused to export its products to Great Britain feeling that Great Britain's reputation would tarnish the brand's reputation. So you get the picture of how bad they are? It'd be like some of our men getting on a 10-speed on a out there trying to compete. It just, it, it, it just, the, I'm leaving out a lot of facts, but it just sounds that bad. But in 2003, British Cycling brought on a new performance director named David Brailsford. Now Brailsford was a cycling enthusiast and the other enthusiast in Britain hoped that Brailsford could maybe make a difference in Britain's abysmal record. So he adopted a style utterly different from that of his predecessors, one that he referred to as the aggregation of marginal gains. Brailsford identified Hundreds of factors that in isolation would be dismissed as having no severe impact on cyclist performance. Listen, he developed more comfortable seats. He swapped out old outdoor cyclist wear for more aerodynamic indoor outfits. He outfitted athletes with electrically heated shorts to maintain the ideal temperature for optimal muscular output. He painted, listen to this, the insides of transport trucks white so that the dust which might disrupt the bike's precise modifications and settings would be readily noticeable and easily eliminated. He took athletes to labs to test their sleep patterns and determined which mattresses and pillows would maximize each cyclist's rest. He had tests run on everything. Even most obsessive compulsives would have been satisfied by Brailsford's rigor and attention to seemingly superfluous details. But these minor improvements, while seem absurd, within five years of Brailsford's leadership, something strange happened. British cycling started winning a lot. At the 2008 Beijing Olympics, they won more than half of the indoor and outdoor cycling events in which they competed. At the 2012 London Olympics, the Brits broke nine Olympic records and seven world records for cycling. Not long after that, a British man won the coveted Tour de France title for the first time in the competition's history. Another Brit won the Tour de France in 2013, 2015, 2016, and 2017. British cycling took home almost 180 world championships and 66 Olympic golds in a decade. And many consider British cycling's recent success the most notable win streak in the sports history. Something remarkable happened in Great Britain's cycling program. The coach implemented hundreds of changes that in isolation would deliver little payoff. But all these 1% changes began to add up. Let me give you a quote that was found, and this is found in James Clear's Atomic Habit book. He says, We are under the mistaken impression that a major success requires significant action. The pressure to do so is soul-crushing and leaves us stymied. Attempting something monumental in one gargantuan effort, getting exhausted and overwhelmed and then quitting, that's one option. Most people take this path. But another option is accruing 1% wins that yield shockingly significant improvements over time. David Brailsford's aggregation of marginal gains doesn't just work wonders for floundering cyclists, It applies to you and every aspect of your life. Let me remind us what happens when we have special meetings. God does special things. But God does special things every day. It's just that special meetings are a concentrated effort and emphasis and the singing, and the preaching, and the testimonies, and it's very narrow in its focus. And what happens is God gets a hold of our attention. God's able to go a little bit deeper. God's able to pull off some more layers. But what happens far too often is that we lose the feeling after the meeting. But he which hath begun a good work in you He didn't lose it. But what happens is we're looking for something monumental. I'm challenging everyone who gave a testimony during the Harold Vaughn meetings. How are we doing? You say, this is what I was burdened about. Aren't you still burdened about it? What got you there is what will get you back there. There you You say, well, no, it was better preaching. Well, go back and listen to it again. You know, that's the point of going to camp. Camp is a place for decision. I mean, you can make decisions in church. Church is a lot of things. It's a hospital. It's a lighthouse. It's a. It's a. Uh, it's a body. It's a. It, it's a lot of things that the church is. But camp is basically it's about decision. God gets us in an environment 24 hours a day that is uh, separated from the distractions of the world and God's able to get in to our life and, and he's able to work in the kids' lives and it's all by design. The Bill Rice Ranch you saw there on the video, CAMP, the acronym of a controlled atmosphere for the ministry of preaching. And it is, every aspect is deliberate, just like it is in a revival meeting. We do some things a little bit different. Someone asks, are you trying to impress the guest preachers? I'm not trying to impress anybody. It's just that when we have a special meeting, we have time for some extra singing. We've got some extra singing. I'm only trying to impress the audience of one. His name is Jesus Christ. But we have these events and opportunities for God to do something a little bit more significant. A lot of other times, like tonight, it's a little bit more of a feeding time. It's a little bit more of a recalibrating. It's a little bit more of, we're going to dig in and do some technical things. But all of it, God wants to do something that is significant, but we can't dismiss, it just might be the 1% gain. See, habits are the compound interest of self-improvement. The impact created by a change in your habits, it can be similar to the effect of shifting the route of an airplane by just a few degrees. See, the Christian life is simply living the Christ life as a disciple daily. Daily. It's, it's, It's like those that would... Uh, When I was in Bible college, I remember there was a group that they felt like God got into a prayer meeting. They prayed all night and they missed classes all the next day because they slept in. Was God in that prayer meeting? He might have been, but God was also in them getting out of bed and getting to classes. It's like people who will go to a gospel singing on Saturday night and God got in, but they couldn't find Sunday school on Sunday morning. See, the disciples' life and mature Christians, they focus on daily. It's actively cooperating with Christ rather than just passively experiencing the emotions from Christ. Listen, you'll never reach a level of perfection or completion, but you can fall in love with the process and the art, if I could say it that way, of experiencing God and living a life of complete, total surrender, trusting God and obeying Him. The Word of God shows us how to cultivate faith and patience and focus and discipline for working towards our biggest goal. What's our biggest goal? Experiencing God. And by simply returning to the basic principles and the basic habits of daily embracing a childlike trial and error attitude in order to master the process of being a disciple that will trust and obey. The problem, the problem, if I could say it this way, the problem with faith and discipline is that they require both to develop each. See, faith, it requires some discipline. Paul says, I'm going to bring my body under subjection. It's going to take some discipline. But in order to form some discipline in your life, you're going to have to take some great steps of faith in the Word of God. Get out into the deep end of trusting God. But to to cultivate faith, without faith it's impossible to please Him, you're going to have to have some discipline. You'll never climb to the level of your goals You'll never climb just to the level of my desire and aspiration. We can cry all we want to an altar, how much we desire and crave and hunger and thirst for God. We will never climb to that just because we have it. But we will always sink to the level of our system. You show me your system of trusting and obeying. I will show you what the product will become. See, you won't get breakthroughs without first traversing the plateau of what's been called latent potential. Latent potential. In other words, if you have an ice cube, you put an ice cube in a room set to 26 degrees Fahrenheit and slowly raise the temperature, you know nothing happens for a little while. 27 degrees Nothing happens. 28 degrees, 29, 30, 31 degrees, still nothing. But once it hits 32 degrees, something starts to happen. As the temperature increases, a puddle forms around the cube, and it grows, and as the change becomes even more dramatic. But when we begin to develop new habits, and we try to read our Bible daily and pray, and get into our Christ Walk journal we try to instill new habits or we try to kick bad ones. There's usually a dormant period where nothing appears to be happening. And that is what we're referring to as that plateau of latent potential. In other words, it can be discouraging traversing this plateau because it feels like we don't have anything to show for it. I've been reading my Bible every day for a month and I, don't really, I can't really show anything for it. It, it, it can seem discour, discouraging. You begin to worry because you feel like I'm not improving. But it's the same as with this ice cube at 26 degrees. You move to 27 degrees, you don't see anything. 28 degrees, you don't see anything. 29 degrees, you don't see anything. 30 and 31 and 32, it begins to happen. But what we can't do is we can't minimize something was happening at 27 and 28 and 29 and 30 and 31. See, 1% of changes don't seem significant, but the fact is time, time in experiencing God Time of trusting when there's delay. Time of obedience when there is no immediate reaping. Time, time reveals the power of our habits. See, the more time passes, the clearer that the impact of habitual actions become, whether it be for the worse or for better. Habits, any object is comprised of, of smaller parts and, and that of a disciple. It's, it's a lot of small decisions. And it's to be focusing on daily. Let me give you another thought here, illustration. The difference between eating a hamburger or eating a salad. The difference between eating a hamburger eating a salad tonight after the service may not be that significant. But after 30 years of opting for the hamburger rather than the salad, it's a different story. Amen. A sadder one and fatter one. Amen. Or I mentioned the airline earlier. Think about a transcontinental flight from Los Angeles to New York. Los Angeles to New York. If the pilot bears just three degrees to the right at the start of the flight, the plane will touch down in Washington, D.C. instead of New York. It's ever so slight, but it makes all the difference after time. See, habits are like existential compound interest. Just as money grows exponentially, anybody who invests money in any kind of a stock or investment, anybody who does it knows you can't put it in one day and you should not pull it out three days later. Well, it went down, but that's what happens but it's supposed to be for the long haul. And you're watching this little graph and you watch how that is impacted. You know what? Your money and investment is impacted by something far more than you or I making any decisions with it. It's impacted by something far greater in the culture and the economy of this world system. Your money, mine, it's value. It's growth, it's decline. But so it is with you and I as a disciple of Jesus Christ. You're experiencing God. It is not going to exist just because you have a desire. It is going to be impacted by the culture that you develop within your life. To be able to hear His voice and to surrender and to submit Daily, with feelings, without feelings. See, most people do not cultivate habits, Bible habits, spiritual disciplines, because the change in their lives is not immediately apparent. That's just where we live. We are living in the age of I want it now, I want it fast. And I want it on credit. And that is the same brain that we are functioning with in society impacted that way. And that's the same brain that comes into our church services. And preachers tend to feel the pressure to capitulate to people who want it now. I want it cheap and I want it on credit. We, we experience self-gratification in practically everything. That's why the television industry has changed in the whole viewership. Now it's about binge watching. Remember in the old days when, when it came out, you had to wait till next week to see what was going to happen with, uh, with Andy and Barney. You know, but, but now you, you can watch six seasons in one night. And, and we expect that kind of thing to happen in our life. We read the news. We read the news by way of phone or iPad. And, and all we're looking is just headlines. We're just read, and it's constantly refreshing and changing and refreshing and changing. And we play video games and play games. And, and, and all we do is restart, start all over. And, and everything is immediate. Except experiencing God. God. Oh, God, just like in the book of Esther, He's always at work. But God is not always about satisfying our gratification urge. It's all about us seeking Him. I said today, I think it would be good, and, and I am including myself in this, that... Uh, I think it'd be great for every single one of us. If we really want to understand the nature of be steadfast and movable, always abounding, uh, uh, you you, you reap and sow. You, you, You reap more than you sow. You reap what you sow, but you reap it in God's time. Those simple Bible principles, it would do us all well to get involved in agriculture. Gardening. Because it's not an overnight success. I mean, there may be something like that, but but that's again our tendency today. But to be able to go out and plant and cultivate and water and know, Dr. Giles, Dr. Charles has talked to me about it. He, he said you've got to get your your mind uh, uh, you know off of some of the the things and, and just look at maybe gardening something like that. And I thought that's a great idea. When can you start? And and. Uh, <laughs> But, you know, it's, it's, but there, there's great benefit to understanding Bible truth. It's going to take some time. Amen. Gardening, it's not about us planting and watering and going in, and looking out the window all night. But isn't that how we've developed a lot of our Christian mindsets? And, and I, I just, I just don't, I don't know about some of the, Christ Walk Journal and, and praying and, and, and reading Bible. Boy, boy, I love some preaching. You know, really that's an indictment on, on, on a lot of us to say that, well, you know, I hit and miss. I just read my Bible. You know, I, I just read here and read there, however the Spirit of God leads. And you wouldn't know how the Spirit of God leaves, leads if He blew you down. If you're not experiencing Him daily. He's given you his word. He's given you himself. And what happens though, we've become so discouraged over trying because our habits have failed and people fail to cultivate divine spiritual disciplines because the change in their life is not immediately apparent. So they throw in the towel too soon. They expect their self-improvement to be linear. But at the beginning, in the middle of a new endeavor, there's always the valley of disappointment for a time where expectations and reality clash and get you down. You've heard the term overnight success. so That's a misnomer. Breakthrough is simply seeing a breakthrough spiritually, a breakthrough in your kids. Some of you pray for your children. A breakthrough is not by all of a sudden just I bring them to pastor's office or I bring her in to see uh, Mrs. Ingram and and, and all of a sudden we're, we're praying for a breakthrough. God says, here's how a breakthrough occurs. Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way they should go. What is he talking about? He's saying that a healthy parent focuses on Daily, 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 in and out, good and bad, sunlight, darkness, pain, or joy, daily we're going to do the right thing. Do you know that where I am weight wise, it's a result, not of my desire, but of my system of eating. Where you are money-wise is not because of just some hardships, but it's where you are system-wise of spending. Do you know that where we are spiritually is not a result of good preaching or bad preaching? It's where we are in experiencing God daily. Daily. Don't get discouraged when you don't see enormous fruit just falling off the tree of your endeavors. The goal of my habits is not having them. It's experiencing God. You say, well, I don't know if I experienced him. And just keep seeking Him. Amen. Trust and obey. Look at the little things. 1%. Just focus on the 1%. What happens is we sometimes get discouraged. I can't stay with my, I've never been able to read my Bible through in a year. I just don't want to hear about another reading plan. I don't want to, People read through it in a month and three months. I, I can't get through in a year. I'm not going to do it. It's the wrong response. Just do it. In the morning, just try it again. How do I do it? Roll burden upon him. Commit thy works to the Lord. And your thoughts will be established. Just do right. And you'll think right. Just throw your burden upon the Lord. And let's see what God will do in cultivating Cultivating that system of discipleship, of following Him, cultivating a life. Everyone who's here, understand your identity is not in you succeeding as a disciple, but it's in you desiring. You say, I didn't think it's about the desire. No, I'm saying it doesn't end with the desire. You're here at church, you want to be a disciple. Call yourself a disciple of Jesus. And because I'm a disciple of Jesus, I'm going to incorporate these habits. I'm going to imbibe these desires. I'm going to put these things into my life. And I'm going to just focus on that 1%. I'm just going to focus on, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just going to do a little bit. Don't, don't, don't do a lot. Don't, don't try, if you've never read through your Bible in a year, don't try to do it in a month. Just, just open it. Just read it. You draw near to God and he will draw near to you. You say, I want to be a disciple. No, if you have the desire, that's what you are. That's your identity. Now start incorporating the disciplines that'll make the system the life of following Jesus. You say, what if I fail? Of course you will. What if I mess up? Of course you will. What what if I can't keep the commitment? Well, that'll probably happen too. What do I do? Go back to abiding. And Peter walked on water. He failed because he saw everything else, took his eyes off Jesus. Peter does it. You and I will do it. But let's also do what Peter did when he fell. Lord, help! I'm so glad Jesus didn't say, well, you know, Peter, about time you learn your lesson. Peter, let's just talk about it for a little bit. No, all Peter could say was, Lord, help, gurgle, gurgle. And the Bible says, and immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand. And really what the Lord Jesus said to Peter is, Peter, why could you not trust me when there was no storm? Why could you not trust me when there was a storm? Just keep trusting. Let's go back and do it again. Let's do it again healthy Christians focus on daily. Don't look for the mountaintop. Don't be afraid of the valley. Come on. Just look for Jesus Amen. daily. Let's stand together, please.